Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast on gender and sexuality. Sorry for the delay, it's been a really busy week. Today we're basically going to discuss why are gender and sexuality such important subjects in sociology. And I think we'll start with a discussion of gender, then we'll move on to sexuality. So the first thing to note about gender is that in everyday English language use, it's often conflated with the term sex to describe purported differences between men and women. But actually in sociology, it's argued that there's a really important distinction to be made between sex and gender. On the one hand, sex refers to biological differences between men and women, particularly, for example, differences in their sexual organs or their hormones or their chromosomes. But gender, on the other on the other hand, is a process of social construction, which articulates a set of roles, behaviors, norms, and values which are attached to men uh, and women in society. And this means that gender is something which is learnt through different institutions in society, through different agents of socialization, such as the family, the education system, our peer groups, so on and so forth. The idea that gender is a social construction has the really important implication that gender identity and different gendered practices, different gendered patterns of behavior, they can differ from society to society and they can differ across historical time. And this has the further implication that there's nothing natural or inevitable about the way that gender is interpreted in a given society. Instead, different societies and communities attribute particular features to men and to women, which articulate social expectations of conduct and how they ought to perceive and treat each other. And as I was saying before, sociologists argue that these gendered attributes are acquired throughout our lives, different agents of socialization, and how our gender attributes are interpreted in society are also shaped by other aspects of our identity, such as our cultural and ethnic background, and even our class position, um, just to give you two examples. So given that our gender identities are a social construction, sociologists really emphasize that gender attributes are reinforced both through social rewards and through social punishments that helps ensure that there's a relative degree of stability in gender attributes across time and between different social context in a society. So you might think about the way, for example, that young children are socialized into gender identity on the basis of the particular kind of clothes that they get offered by their parents, the particular colors that are attached to um, those clothes, and what kinds of toys they also receive, right? So you can imagine easily a situation there, particularly toys where boys and girls might be rewarded or punished for uh, fulfilling certain gendered expectations of their behavior. The other really crucial focus of sociologists when it comes to the topic of gender is the idea that it's pivotal uh, as a form of social stratification society. In other words, gender really shapes our life chances and our life choices with respect to our access and control over wealth, power, and social prestige in a given society. 
And sociologists note that in nearly every human society across history, women are subject to various forms of structural discrimination, violence, and many other forms of social, political, economic disempowerment and exploitation. Gender, in other words, distributes privilege and reward and disadvantage and deprivation. And these forms of social mistreatment might be explicit, that is to say they can be written into the workings of everyday social institutions and in the conscious discriminatory and prejudice attitudes and behaviours that people hold and practice. But these forms of social mistreatment might be implicit, that is to say it could reflect unconscious forms of bias and prejudice in people's attitudes and behaviours or through failings and limitations in social institutions which might have policies, norms and procedures to ensure gender equality, but somehow they fail. There are also many different ways in which women globally are disadvantaged compared to men. In certain countries, they are subject to higher mortality rates. They die sooner than men. They're victims of selective abortions, as in uh, the cases of uh, China and India, where they've actually got a massive demographic crisis because of this issue. Women are overwhelmingly victims of sexual violence and harassment. They lack access frequently to decent healthcare and education. They lack adequate representation in political decision-making institutions. So if we look at uh, Australia, they compose roughly a quarter of the House of Representatives and about a third of the Senate. Women are subject to prejudicial social attitudes, which justify their exclusion, their marginalization, their sexual objectification and popular culture. They're underrepresented in particularly high status occupations and industries. They're overrepresented in low status and insecure employment. They suffer from gender pay and superannuation gaps. They're denied their opportunities for career advancement. And they're often pressured by the burden of social expectation to commit to an unfair share of domestic and childcare work. And these are just a few examples of gender-based inequality which sociologists are deeply concerned about. Conversely, what's termed the patriarchal dividend, men typically enjoy advantages in wealth, social status and power, which are morally unearned and which inflict really grave and unfair social, economic and political costs on women and on society as a whole. Of course, um, as in all areas of life, there are always exceptions to this rule, as all forms of gender advantage and disadvantage are linked to other aspects of identities, like our sexuality and our class, for example. So, in other words, not all men and women are privileged and disadvantaged in the same way or to the same degree. Not all women suffer from the same kind and degree of, uh, of oppression, and not all men enjoy the benefits of gender stratification. But what is clear is that both men and women all suffer from gender inequality. So, for instance, men, by virtue of their gender socialization, uh, they might suffer from stunted emotional expression, which might translate into a variety of psychological illnesses, for example. So you might want to read further about this uh, phenomenon. And I really point you in the direction of the Australian sociologist Raywan Connell, who coined the term hegemonic masculinity, which is quite useful to explore a lot of social problems related to gender. So given this quite 
concise overview of gender, let's turn to sexuality now. Obviously, sexuality broadly refers to the reproductive or erotic aspects of human life, and sociologists are interested in the topic for a number of reasons. Firstly, sexuality, like gender, is a social construction, as the way that uh, sexual relations, identities, practices have been conducted varies hugely across history and between different societies and within different uh, subcultures within societies even. Secondly, sexuality, like gender, is the site of significant inequality in society. Sexuality can deeply shape people's life chances, life choices, and it's very much connected to a wide variety of uh, forms of discrimination, violence, and other forms of social disadvantage and marginalization. This means that sexuality is always deeply connected to questions of social control because it's always regulated through broader social institutions like the legal system and a society's dominant values, norms, customs and beliefs. So for instance, in most societies historically and today, there's a strong cultural presumption of heteronormativity. The idea that heterosexuality is both natural and normal and that it's superior morally and culturally to other sexual identities and behaviours. This idea of heteronormativity has served as the bedrock for institutional and interpersonal prejudice and discrimination. Historically and in the contemporary world, individuals who are non-heterosexual have suffered from prejudice and discrimination in a wide variety of areas in their lives and access to healthcare and their promotion prospects and their interpersonal relationships at work and the legal recognition of their relationships and in their vulnerability to violence and their general kind of hostility. So unsurprisingly therefore sociologists are very much interested in how sexuality is profoundly connected to various public debates, concerns, controversies, problems and conflicts about sex and sexuality. For instance, topics as diverse as the social causes and impacts of pornography, sex work and prostitution, sexual trafficking and slavery, sexual exploitation and violence, family and domestic violence, sexual objectification and popular culture, practices of sexual harassment, the purpose and the design of sexual education in schools, as well as sexual health and sexual illness. And finally, as sexuality reflects people's sexual orientation, obviously, their desires, their preferences, so on and so forth, it constitutes an important part of identities, and so it shapes people's everyday social interactions, self-understandings, the way that they treat others. And so sociologists are very much interested in unpacking this issue. So that's all for this podcast, folks. I'll see you next time on Weekly Review. And thank you very much for listening.